This is the AMA Los Angeles podcast. Are you ready? Welcome to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. I'm Joel Metzger. We have a live panel today recorded at the WeWork Gas Tower in downtown LA, and the talk is called From Content to Conversion. Our moderator is Alan Brighter, and he will introduce the panelists. So let's join the conversation underway. Hello, everyone. So I speak a lot, but this is my first time as a moderator, so bear with me. So I am over-prepared today, and I promise you that we're going to have a lot of fun, and you're definitely going to walk out of here with some good information as well, and we even have some prizes, too. So Hey, but I promise you it, it is worth schlepping out here today. So thank you all for coming. So... Why don't you guys come over? Where I'm going to introduce our panelists today. Um, hang on one second, sorry. This is this is Maury Rigaud from Rip Media, and I've known Maury for a while. I'm going to let him do a little quick introduction of his his company and what they do, and then we'll kind of turn it over. Hey everybody, Maury. Hey, cool. Hi everyone. Happy holidays. First time speaker, long time listener. Um, so, Mari Rogo, I'm CEO and founder of Rip Media Group. We basically say that you know your company, your product will live or die based on the story that you tell. So, we're all about visual storytelling. We create videos. We're a video marketing agency or a video first marketing agency. So, a lot of the videos that you've seen on anywhere from startups up to Ben and Jerry's, Comcast Universal website, those are videos we've created. We're about 70% animation. So we take the real complex stuff, make it simple and easy to understand in animation, do live and commercials, things like that. So we're all about content creation. Thanks. And now I'd like to introduce Courtney. It's a little hard to pronounce your last name. Salzberger from W Promote. Hi, everyone. I'm Courtney Salzberger. I'm one of the directors of content marketing at W Promote. Uh, we are a full-service digital marketing company, so we do SEO, content marketing, PPC, social media, the works. Um, I've been at W Promote for about three years. Personally specialize in fashion, e-commerce, and lifestyle brands. Uh, so that's where my forte heavily lies. Uh, Huge content marketing. Happy to be here. And last but not least, we have Eric Brownstein from... Shareability. Hey, uh, I'm Eric, uh, President and Chair, uh, Chief Strategy Officer at Shareability. Um, easiest way to describe what we do is we make big viral videos for brands. Um, we're in a special spot this year where I get to kind of brag for the company. We have the most viewed and shared ad in the world this year, um, times about 10. And uh, our last 15 videos have been shared over 8 million times, which is equivalent uh, to the top 200 videos from AdAge's viral video leaderboard. So we have built a really awesome machine for creating and distributing video content on social, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Okay, so what is content marketing? Have, have any of you ever heard of 
CMI or the Content Marketing Institute or Joe Paluzzi? Raise your hand. Okay. If you haven't, you should write it down because it's amazing. Um, it's it's a, a company out of Cleveland that basically it's all about content marketing. A once a year event called Content Marketing World, I went. About 4,000 people were there. Mark Hamill was the keynote speaker. They put out newsletters, almost too much information, but you can really learn a lot. And a lot of the content and questions in this presentation came from there. So what is content marketing? Content marketing is the, is the marketing and business process for creating distributing relevant and valuable content to attract, acquire, and engage a clearly defined and understood target audience with the objective of driving profitable customer action. I couldn't memorize that, sorry, I had to read it. So I'm gonna give you just a little bit of content marketing background and then we're gonna do a little trivia and then we're gonna get into the panel discussion, okay? And we've got about 40 minutes, so let's see if we can do this. So see, these are some uh, five top sites for content marketing. The Content Marketing Institute, Post Planner, Marketo, HubSpot, Marketing Sherpa. And this is a guy I love, Tom Fishburne. I don't know if you've seen his work, but he's a, he's a, a cartoonist and it's all about marketing. So the state of content marketing, I love this. I thought it was very funny. So what are some types of visual content that we use? One of them is presentations. I happen to do a lot of presentations for my business. Infographics, videos, motion graphics, interactive content, ebooks, photography. We're gonna go a little deeper into these as we go through it. And I like this from Bob Dylan. The times they are changing. So social media seems to be doing kind of more fr frequently stuff in marketing channels than a lot of other companies. Social media is the bomb. So I wanted to put this up here, which was a, a visual on Pinterest. And it's just a little bit of facts about it. They've got over 100 million users, 35 million women, and 6.6 and .6 million men. It's kind of interesting. It's so skewed, right? 30% of all US social media users use Pinterest, and about 67% of them are millennials. That's right, it's interesting. And then Instagram, of course, 106 million users, pretty close demographic from women to men. 20% of internet users use internet, uh, use Instagram, sorry. And 90% of them are younger than 35. And of course, Facebook, 1.13 billion people. Pretty close again with women to men. 50% of Americans will use Facebook monthly. 91% of them are millennials. So now we're going to do a little fun. I call this the wheel of content. Yeah. That was hard to figure out in PowerPoint how to do that. So I'm going to ask some questions. I've got some, I've got some Starbucks gift cards for the right answer. Everybody likes Starbucks. Can anyone tell me, not the panelists, what is the number two search engine? Very good. And who owns YouTube? 
So is it any wonder why it's number two? <laughs> Probably not. Okay, you get number one. Enjoy. I think you can get a cappuccino with that. So next question, what is the most famous content marketing strategy in the world? No? Anybody? I don't think anyone's going to get this one. I think I may have to give it away. Nobody? There isn't one. What's that? There is not one. Okay. The porn industry. <laughs> Picture not included. Think about it. It makes sense, right? So nobody gets a gift card for that. Sorry. <laughs> Percentage of B2B marketers using content marketing. Can anyone guess? Percentage 30. No. I'm going to say higher. Higher. Somebody got to raise their hand. Higher. Higher. It's actually 93%. Some, I think this gentleman was close, so you get a gift card. There you go. People are like, what is going on here? What is it with this guy? Okay. All right, so that's it for the questions. Thank you for participating. Okay, so now we're going to turn to the panelists. And, you know, I didn't, like, zero in on who I'm going to ask what question. You could all chime in or one of you. It's, it's totally up to you. Um, but the question is, what is your customer acquisition content marketing strategy? And then the second part of it is, what is your customer retention for content marketing strategy? Does anyone want to take that one? Great. <laughs> Go for it. Kind of complexly worded questions. Thank you. I'll, Sorry. I'll say that for my, so I guess there's two answers. There's for my company, right? So we, we do a lot of content marketing. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, for our customers, we do a lot of content marketing. Everything that we do follows the customer journey. So I'd say if we're, we are always targeting B2B, right? So we're always going after businesses that we want to work with businesses. We don't really work with, you know, consumers themselves. So out of curiosity, and I think this might be helpful to all of us, how many of you are a either, you know, run, you're in marketing for a B to, I guess, raise your hand if you're B to C, business to consumer. A couple. Can you go a little higher? Just, all right, okay. And then B to B. It's, yeah. So this is kind of a little 60-40-ish B to B. Fair? So I'll, I'm going to lean a little heavier on the B to B side. All right, so customer journey for us. Um, customer journey means, you know, basically it's the beginning. Nobody knows who we are. Nobody knows we even exist. They don't even know that they need what we have, right? So I'm target those folks, obviously with video and with some regular ads, static ads, and typically, you know, GIFs, things like that, um, and some social, but I'm just going to keep it in the video world. Very short ads, so very short videos out there. Uh, quick, because they don't even know they need us. They don't even know they want us. Oh, grab the attention. Then it leads them over to what? The landing page, or the, you know, basically, they're going to land here. Now it's a little mutual exchange of info, right? I'm going to give you something a little bit more. You'll give me your email address so we can march on down that customer journey path. So explainer video, landing page video, conversion video. Instead of 7 to 10 seconds, now we're at 30 to 60 seconds, right? So then it's, okay, they liked us. They know they need a little bit of what we do. They need video. They need to tell a better story. Now what's next? By the way, is this okay of an answer? Is this answering yeah, I the question? Mean, are, you, are you doing targeted Facebook ads Oh, okay, or so Instagram? right back to the acquisition there. So um, pure acquisition, 
Yeah, so we um, we do very, very little in on Facebook. Candidly, we do very little on Facebook. I've spent a lot of money on, too much money on Facebook because I think it's the audience and the way that we targeted them. I don't, I'm not the master like our guy, got folks over here are with Facebook ads, plus our budget's a lot smaller. I'm a smaller company. So I don't have hundreds of thousands to spend there and see how it goes. I put out like five or 10,000 and see how it goes, and it hasn't worked out. But what has worked out, YouTube has worked out, sort of surprisingly, um, and uh, LinkedIn certainly works out a lot better for us. So those two work out because the business users are there. So acquisition strategy is a little bit heavier towards B2B, right? So where the business owners, the business marketing folks, where are they can be hanging out? So we target that. We also do a lot of pretty big interactive blogs, you know, some press and things like that, try to get picked up. So talk to influencers. I do, um, I'm sort of a guest on podcasts, things like that, give a lot of information away. So we use a lot of infographics. And this is now in the follow-up phase, right? They might know they're a little interested, so I'm going to keep feeding them information to nurture and educate folks more than my competition will. I'm going to give you as much information as you possibly can get so that you can digest this, so that you're feeling like, okay, RIP Media Group, these guys are experts. They know what they're doing. In fact, I, could, I feel kind of like I could do it without them, but I know that I really can't. You know? So we really want some high-end quality work done, and then they come back to us, and they're already educated, and that's how we convert. Great. Anybody else? From the B2C side, um, specifically with any type of you know, lifestyle, fashion, or what have you brand who might have a large demographic and audience on Facebook or Instagram and what have you, a really good strategy is definitely tapping into influencer marketing, trying to get some of that brand awareness. But then on the other side, any content you get from those influencer placements um, repurposing it for Facebook ads that you're specifically using for prospecting. Um, so if you're trying to reach brand new customers on Facebook, trying to get them intrigued in your brand, not necessarily just showing them a photo of your product because that won't engage them. Um, they're just seeing another photo of a product where they don't even know your brand yet. They don't trust it yet. Why would they click on that? Whereas if they see a lifestyle image, possibly from an influencer that they follow, if you're targeting that influencer's audience, they're more likely to click on it and go to your website, and then we have them in our cookie pool. Now we can retarget them and almost in a way nurture them from a B2B aspect, which is kind of cool. Um, so just kind of chime in from the other side. I can give <coughs> perspective through video. Um, I'm sure you guys or most of you have heard of Cricket Wireless. I'll use as an example. So Cricket Wireless is a you know a challenger brand in a telecom industry, which is always up against AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and Sprint, who are the biggest advertisers in the world. So for acquisition for them, we look at the world through uh, you know a basic strategy of awareness, engagement, and conversion. So we think about how do you get the word out about Cricket? How do you get people thinking about them through a different lens? And so the work we've done with them as a case study is, you know, we've done 10 big videos for them. That was the one that was the most shared out in the world this year was with John Cena. And, you know, people saw that video. It was branded all over the place, Cricket. And at an emotional level, they had a good feeling around that video. So at just this level of awareness and feeling, they were thinking about Cricket in a different way. We then retarget people who engaged with that content with other content down the funnel, engagement content and conversion content. 
And all those videos are thematically connected and creatively connected. And what we see is much higher engagement and conversion when we're doing that retargeting. So then we're doing all the nuts and bolts tactical stuff of building lookalike audiences from the highest converters and so on. So through the lens of video, which I think is really important, I think most people would agree it's really important in terms of marketing and getting your word out, it's this awareness, engagement, and conversion. That's how we look at acquisition. Thank you. All right. Let's Oh, sure. Okay, so the next question I'm sure everybody wants to know is how do you measure content marketing ROI, return on investment? I think that's very important to talk about. Anybody want to take that one on? Yeah, why don't we reverse direction? Um, my favorite thing that I've ever heard around ROI and metrics was from the CMO of Arby's who said we have four different metrics. We have soft metrics, stretch metrics, hard metrics, and the most important metric was holy shit that was good. <laughs> and that's the CMO of Arby's saying that, right? And, and he's become a kind of a little bit of a legend in the industry for making really good content. So those are the kind of brands we like to work with, the ones that get that People don't want to be interrupted all the time with crappy ads. They want things that are actually good. Um, and then moving down that line, you know, it depends what the objective of the campaign is. A stretch metric may be press pickups. A soft metric may be engagements, likes, comments, shares on the content. And a hard metric may be clicks and conversions to a sale. So when we're doing that full funnel, you know, we're trying to drive sales for, say, Forever 21. They're looking at that two-week media spend, how much money did we make for them? So that's, you know, depends on what the, what the KPIs are for the campaign. Yeah, definitely to echo that, um, def it just depends on the goal. Are you going after brand awareness for uh, that particular campaign, or are you looking to get people more engaged with the brand and push them further down the funnel? So you do want to try to either email capture or what have you, or are you just looking for direct conversions? It really will will vary across the board and like you mentioned what are the KPIs that you're actually measuring as it relates to that goal um, that's something that a lot of people often forget is think about what the actual goal is and then move back from there what are the KPIs and that we can associate with that what are the primary and secondary ones like you said some of the stretch ones the oh my god <laughs> ones um, and kind of build out the campaign from that uh, perspective, a lot of times people will automatically just jump to whatever they want to measure without actually thinking about does this fit with the goal. Um, so just and, and define them before the campaign. So you're really clear with the client if you're working on the agency side what those metrics are and what success looks like. That's crucial. Hard lessons learned. So I agree completely with what they just said and I have a couple examples. One is uh, you know, a little software company the guy called back, we always measure a week, you know, a month or two after how did the campaign go, you know, based on our video and, and so forth, and he had an 800% increase to traffic to his website. To him, goal achieved, right? Bonus time. Somebody else, they, every one of our customers measured something different. So it got back to me and thinking for this audience, this weekend I was with my three-year-old nephew, and he's this big, right? And the apple that he was eating looked like it was larger than him. I'm not kidding. And I'm looking at him, I said, how are you going to eat that whole apple? He's like, one bite at a time. I said, I'm going to work for you one day. 
right, what a brilliant answer. That was the answer for this question, I think, which is just start somewhere. Start with the easiest metric to measure and then work your way up. If you're going like, oh, we're going to measure on sales, no, you're not. You shouldn't do that at all. It's going to take, you know, possibly weeks or months to be able to measure that, and they could come back in through different routes and so forth. Easiest first. So I think, you know, traffic, clicks, then conversions, et cetera, is the best way to go. Thank you. Okay, so this, this might be a Maury question, or, or maybe not. How do you create and repurpose video content for more attention? I, that's a good question for us, yeah. So um, I've got a long answer for this. You're going to have to cut me off. All right, so I've got, a, I've got two things. One is to create really good video content, and I'm hoping these two will back this up. So I have came up, or we came up with a, um, an acronym called The Stuff. So when we're creating content, meaning we're creating a pitch, or we're creating scripts, we're creating videos, we always say, what's the stuff in that? Because the stuff isn't in there, it's not going to work. It's not going to catch on. And what's the stuff stand for? Is it sexy? Is it touching? Is it unique or unexpected? Is it funny? Or does it deliver some fear to the hearts and minds of the viewers? Because we buy and we are influenced based on our heart. We're not based on, you know, it's not based on statistics. You know, that little lollipop stand you had up there before, whatever that was, it's hilarious. You know, data will stray and stories stay. So if you go with the stuff, you're going to have better content than just data, data, data. So start off with really good content. The second part of that is once you create, you know, a, say we always think of, you know, the video is kind of the big thing, and then you start cutting that down. So I go with another acronym called CORE. Create once, repurpose everywhere. Create a big piece of content, repurpose it everywhere. So that would be, let's say we do a, a one-minute commercial or a one-minute digital commercial, right? So that one-minute commercial could also be cut down into a 30-second, you know, conversion video for the landing page. That will also be cut down into 5 and 10 and 15 second Instagram and YouTube pre-roll ads. That will also be cut down into scene by scene, because we're animation, right? Typically, we're about 70% animation. Each scene is its own little lesson. So that becomes social media content that can play out for the next few months, you know, a few weeks or a few months, depending on how big your, you know, your feed is. Um, you should also then write at least, you know, based on the big piece of content, four or five blogs based on it, the lessons learned, what hit the cutting room floor, because your videos would all be five and ten minutes long if we let you, you know, go that route and nobody would watch. So we keep them short so that people are teased to watch more. And I think that's a... I might add for more action to that, not just attention. You know, as I was mentioning, we'll, you know, have a day shoot where we're making a big awareness video and we'll make sure we've got it all planned out ahead of time. What is the other content we're going to capture there? What are we going to cut from that main video to create more engaging content or more conversion-oriented content? So it's what can you do with the resources and the day and so on if you're going down that video road. I mean, w I'll just add something. One of, one of our clients is a plastic surgeon. And... We did a 13 mini videos. They were maybe a minute each on different procedures that he did. Rhinoplasty, facelift, so that when people go to YouTube, they would come up based on the procedure. And there were landing pages on the site based on each video. And it actually worked really well. All right, I'm going to move on because I want to be able to get through everything here. So 
Are live videos or animations better? Maury. Um, I have my own opinion on that. But better for it, what? It, it ha the video that you create or the videos that you create have to match your brand. So what's better? It's better for, it's different for everybody. If you're more of a graphic design type, you know, design on your website and it's colorful, then I, you know, I think animation will fit in. So you can use those colors and that design and that font and so forth and follow through. Um, live can be better because if you get really good people hiring good actors or if it's truly authentic, you know, uh, you know, point of view on the street, you know, that kind of thing, or truly authentic can be wonderful. I would say the why we started leaning more towards animation is because um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a variety of acting and authentic talent around, and I was... I, I just said, look, I want to get this right the first time, and if we create the characters, we get it right the first time. I don't have to worry about actors or them not showing up or them, you know, for whatever reason, which happens a lot. So, um, yeah. So, <laughs> believe it or not, so I produced two films as well, so I saw all that. But the other side of it is, here's what happens when a person pops up on the screen. We judge them immediately. You've judged me, and probably half of you don't like me because I, in a little bit, I remind you of that guy in high school that was a jerk. The other half is like, you kind of like my brother. I like this guy. You know, whatever it is that you, you know, it's happened to each one of us. So a face pops on the screen. We do a quick blink judgment of them. We like them. We don't like them. We're not. We're taken back. If there's inauthenticity, inauthenticity at all in that actor or person there, we don't know why, but we don't quite like that product or that brand as much. So I feel like it's a little dangerous, and that's, again, why we've gone more animation, because our defenses are down. Like, as a viewer, oh, I watched cartoons as a kid. This is cool. You know, I'm just going to listen to the story that they tell me rather than judging the, the, the person or the character or the brand. I would reiterate, though, real quick, that it definitely does depend on the brand. So, for example, one of my clients, Papyrus, who makes green cards, you know, they're a fun lifestyle brand, animation video would probably never work with them and if one of their users or audience members or fans saw that they would probably be pretty turned off and a little bit confused as to why they were seeing this right so instead we do have live videos where maybe it's how to wrap a wine bottle or a teddy bear or something that users really engage with um, and shows them how to use some of our products in a fun exciting way from the papyrus experts or maybe we're engaging an influencer who's showing us how to host a holiday party and she has a lot of the papyrus product there and while people might judge her right off the bat, she has her own audience who's already engaging with her and kind of trusts her like it could be their next door neighbor. Um, so that's definitely like, like you said, it just depends on the client, on the brand, um, and what's actually going to resonate with them. So definitely thinking about it in that way, it's never this or that, it just depends on the circumstance and what's gonna resonate with the audience the best way. I think they said it pretty well. I don't have a lot to add to that. Okay. How long should it be? You know, I think the answer is for what? You know, conversion video is going to be a lot shorter than an awareness video. Um, you know, for the big videos that we do, our most successful videos have been longer. Um, we did the video last year. I don't know if any of you saw it. It was I sued the school systems. Uh, African-American guys standing in a courtroom putting the school system on trial <coughs> ended up with 400 million views and 12 million shares. It was the most successful cause-based branded video ever, and it was over five minutes long. 
Um, the John Cena reacts one this year was five minutes long. Um, we aim for usually two to three minutes for the bigger videos, um, but it really is dictated by the content and the story that we're telling. Um, the engagement content tends to be a little bit more in the middle, maybe a minute or so. Conversion stuff is usually about 15 seconds. I agree with that. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So what are the benefits of a successful infographic and how do you measure the ROI? Not me. I mean, I, I actually do a lot of work in infographics. And as I can tell you is it really depends on where it's shown. Is it on Facebook? Is it on LinkedIn, SlideShare? Is it interactive? But you know, I will tell you something that we did recently that was pretty crazy is we did an infographic for a PR firm for the city of LA. And it was a series of inf animated infographics. And it was all about how LA gets their water. 60% of the water comes from the Sierras. I don't know if anybody knows that, but it does. And it's a 100-year-old aqueduct. It's falling apart. We lost 158 billion gallons of water last year because of this shitty aqueduct. So uh, Jerry Brown hired this agency that I work with to, to influence some decision makers in the government to fund $15 billion to build a new aqueduct system. It's called Water Next. Yeah. So we did a series of infographics and animations on Facebook targeting these influencers, and guess what? It passed. The $15 billion passed, and they're now going to do it. I'm not saying it was all attributed to that, but it, it actually worked. So, I can throw a little answer in on that, too, or an example in on that. So we, we did um, a few videos for a fundraiser for a Alliance for Children. They, they do education programs for, for, for kids, underprivileged kids, and it's really beautiful, and they had this one big event that they bring you know, the community in per year, um, you know, kind of for a, a, a gala lunch in a sense. Anyway, so we did the video. The video was it was really well received. And we also turned that video, it was a motion graphic, so we turned it into an infographic. Okay, big deal. But what happened is the video does resonate, but it fades. And we need those reminders. But on everybody's plate, all whatever, 200 people, they had this quad-fold infographic with basically the scenes from the video laid out in a really cool path and story and they all left with those and then when they went to the next meeting the people literally would unfold them and like you know I really love this so you can take it with you a video you can't really take with you a blog you know we are on our phones but this is a this is a cool handout and they they you know it was 400,000 they raised that day so yeah I mean I think what a lot of marketers and a lot of people like about infographics is that they're visual you know, a lot of times you can't absorb text, right? But when it's visual, exciting, dynamic, it makes a big difference. Um, so next question, leading into it, what are some of the channels to showcase your infographic? Anybody? Yeah, I would say all of them. Um, all of ideally, them. Okay. you want to be able to, you know, change the format of your infographic or take pieces from it and distribute it throughout all the channels. So whether it's social media or your email, Maybe even printing it out. We've had clients who printed them out into posters or leaflets that they're handing out at their storefronts as well. 
Um, so just being able to repurpose any of that content from your infographic, especially because usually if you have an in-house production team or using an agency, it always requires resources. So you want to get the most out of that high quality piece of content. Um, so just being able to repurpose it or resize it and distribute it through all those channels, pointing back to that web page where it actually lives on forever, um, is probably the way that you're going to get the most ROI out of it. But also looking at uh, different relevant industry sites as well. So if you're talking about your industry in general, talking about stats, um, trying to get placements for it and other people to share on their own social channels. So once again, tapping into influencers is a great way to get additional reach from it. Thank you. So what percentage of your annual marketing budget is allocated to content marketing? Not everyone wants to share that. But, you know, I, I'm curious to see. I know it's across the board too, but I mean, I would share it. We we don't actually spend any money on marketing right now. Or or some of your clients. Yeah, it doesn't okay. have to be your. I mean, we'll look at a company like a. We work with big brands like global brands. We also work with some fast growth companies, which are a really interesting sweet spot for us. Where let's say the brand has, you know, three million dollar or four million dollar marketing budget they don't have enough money to put to television, they want to go all digital. And it really becomes a question of education about where are they going to spend their money? Is it on content or is it on banner ads or something like that? So, you know, obviously if I'm in there, I'm trying to get them to spend a lot of money on content. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, it's really dependent, I think, on the company. I haven't seen any set number. I think it really depends on the industry. And with that fact about B2B, 92% are doing content marketing, that says, that says a lot right there. And, you know, of course, we're not going to be able to answer this, but how do you break it out? Ebooks, email, video, blogs. Again, that's subjective. So I don't know if anyone wants to comment on that. I, I could kind of answer the previous question a little bit. I, I was just thinking percentages because I don't put the real dollars out there, right? Um, we spent over the, so I did two different experiments, so 2016 and 17. 16, I spent a lot on, well, you know, a good chunk because we have to spend on content too. I have to pay everybody to make it even though they, they work here. Um, so we'd put a, a decent amount, let's say, uh, let's say about 40% went to content generation. The other 60% went to promotion, right, to the ads and all that kind of thing to get it out there. And it did work. This year I did basically kind of the opposite. Basically what I did is, um, well, I can't say the opposite. I didn't do that at all. But it is, I spent the same amount on content generation and I didn't spend on ads, all right? Like, or very, very lightly on ads. And I just went with as much organic as possible. So as much organic content going out to the world. So, you know, on the site, beefing up SEO, um, you know, obviously the blogs and kind of, you know, influencer outreach in, in a light way. And so here's the difference in the leads. So we cut that down. What was it? I, I think we were, I think I spent, I, honestly, I think I spent 20% of our total budget this year, same amount. So 20% of our budget this year, just on content and no, basically no ads, right? Last year was five times as much. We got half the leads as last year. Doesn't sound like it's great, but really the return on investment is dramatically better. Right, I spent this much, I got two and a half X the return, which is really great. 
And the other thing that happened is our clients are coming back and buying more and buying more. So we ended up doing well. So I'm a huge believer in content marketing because I haven't deciphered the world of ads very well. That's really good information. Thank you. And what are some types of visual content that you see in your blog posts? This might be a Courtney question. Yeah, so it really varies. <laughs> it just kind of depends on what the content is within that blog post. Like sometimes you might even find a place for an infographic within there if you're speaking to a lot of data and you want users to be able to visualize it. Um, a lot of times if it is a piece that's taking quotes from influencer or it's an interview or what have you will usually make pull quote images as well um, and try to optimize those for social media shareability as well um, but yeah it kind of just varies to be honest depending on what the content is and what the brand is great so why do ebooks benefit companies okay Great, so for B2B specifically, um, obviously it's a great um, way to capture a lot of lead gen. Uh, it not only uh, educates your users that are coming to that page, but in order to gain access to that ebook, ideally they would have to enter in their email addresses. You're automatically accumulating that information. Um, you can get even more fancy with it as well if you have an interactive ebook, for example, that includes quizzes or right away users can jump, jump to different chapters. Um, if you're able to collect all that information and data with how users are interacting with this ebook, you can then take that and it's associated with their email address and you know figure out, okay, what are users actually searching for when they get to this large piece of content? You know, what are they engaging with the most? Should we produce more content like this? Should we reach out to this person with information specifically around this chapter? Um, how can we better create a unique uh, customer for them. So there's a lot of value that comes out of it. And obviously, once you get all of those emails from this lead gen campaign, you're then able to start nurturing them uh, through email marketing and whatnot. So a lot of value. I wonder if people really read all that in the e-books, right? How many people here download the e-book and read it? Wow. Okay. <laughs> We've got about 10 more minutes here. How do you establish the best social media KPIs, key performance indicator for your content marketing goals? That's a tough one. I mean, I think it's kind of hit on it before. Um, you know, the way that we think about it is defining it ahead of time and, you know, thinking about those various levels and you guys as marketers, you know, who, if any of you have been properly trained, unlike me, um, you know, there's awareness and preference and whatever all those other things are in the in the real speak of marketing. Um, but it's all about the definition up front, right? It's all about defining what it is you're trying to achieve with whatever tool it may be. And which social networks are best for driving brand awareness and top of the funnel content marketing goals? I'll make my case for this one. Um, so we started out, you know, literally just a few years ago, and we were pretty much 100% focused on YouTube for what we did. Um, over the last year, maybe last two years, Facebook has completely taken that over. I mean, massively for video in particular. 
but you know, and now when I think of it, it's for any content, just because it's the whole platform is built on shareability. You know, it's the ability to share content with your friends. And when I think about content, it's what value are you providing people, right? What that's the currency. You're giving something of value, and then you're earning their attention, and then you're earning the right to ask them for something. So our philosophy is give, 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 give 10 times and then ask for something. And so the ability to give something valuable lends itself to the ability to share that content with you know other people that they think would be interested. So whether it's an emotional thing, as you were talking about the stuff, um, you know, you're trading an emotional currency, but it works just as well for other things that may be more informative. So for us, top of the funnel awareness, Facebook first, Instagram second, and then YouTube third. And that's for video. You Facebook first, Instagram second, YouTube third. And YouTube has its own special circumstances. YouTube, it's the largest search engine in the world for people under 18, second largest for everyone else. And for informative kind of content, there's a huge value in the long tail. So I don't discount it for the searchability and for other actions that might come from it. But as far as like big awareness, top of the funnel, it's Facebook for us for sure. Does this work for small companies or just large brands? You could easily jump in. I think it works for both, but I think you could speak better to you know, the smaller ones as well. We primarily work with big companies but w when I said the fast growth companies that maybe have three or four million dollars to spend as well, I'd put them in a smaller category, but that's not small businesses per se. But I think small businesses can kill it on social. Completely agree. I think she, you, well, I'll please go, please go next. <laughs> okay. You want to go? Oh, sure. I was just going to say definitely if you're a smaller brand, though, just making sure that you have that investment. Um, because a lot of times with these social media networks, specifically with Facebook and soon with Instagram, since they updated their algorithm, it's going to go more into that direction as well. It is pay to play. Um, if you want to generate more uh, awareness, if you do want to increase the total amount of audience that you're reaching there and making sure that people actually see your content, you do need to add that investment behind it to at least get it initially going. And then it can certainly compound upon itself and you'll be able to reach an even greater degree of an audience and once again adding people to those cookie pools once they're visiting your websites but just making sure that that expectation is somewhat set you need that paid support investment up front to help support any of your content awareness efforts totally agree absolutely can work for the big brands and i think it used to be you know even five years ago it was you know oh this went viral or we can go viral no no you know, it, it's going to take a lot of help to, ha to quote, go viral now, a lot of paid, you know, to really make it happen. So it definitely can work for small brands. We have a customer that it was really just one guy. I didn't know if it was going to fly or not, but he put a good budget together, but he put a really good strategy together. He had, you know, like the protein bars and shakes and things like that. So we did the video. And at that time, a couple of years ago, we were still doing social media and things like that. He went from zero to 10,000 followers or, or, you know, friends in a month. And it was just loading that feed up that he was paying and paying and paying, you know, promotion, promotion. And now he's at 180,000, slowed way down. And these shares, I mean, the, the posts that they put out there are very colorful, very visual, very healthy, right? And it's kind of helping, helping and 
one in ten is actually an ad or a promo. Everything else is like, um, you know, nature's Skittles, right? Which was strawberries, blueberries, and mangoes chopped up, you know? Oh, people love that and, you know, that kind of thing. So it really worked out well, and he's got a recurring revenue model, and it's working really well, and that's a tiny, tiny company that really took off. So absolutely, it can work for small companies. So I added this in. It's not a question. It's just some information. Which platforms enable business to host live interactive events? So one of them is Periscope, Facebook Live, Snapchat. Would you guys add anything else to that that you use or you've Instagram. heard about? Okay. YouTube as well. Great. And how do you view the role of SEO and content marketing? That's that's a loaded question. But. Yeah, so I can jump in with that one. Um, it's a frequent discussion we have to have with a lot of our clients, and it's it's definitely a friendship. Um, you want both in order to be very successful, especially in the organic search listings. Um, SEO, how I personally view it, is as its own channel, similar to social media, email, etc. Because you have Google and Yahoo and being contributing to this organic search um, traffic going to your site. Content marketing, on the other hand, it's a little bit more of an accelerator. You need content marketing to produce this high-quality content that you can use for all these other channels, right? Ultimately, you're going to be working the same amount with social media, email, et cetera, as you are with SEO and content marketing. Um, that being said, it's really useful when you do have the two working together because of content marketing, any type of content you're producing, you want to make sure that it is technical, technically sound. Um, that it's optimized for whatever search queries might be best for the user. Even taking in some of those insights, you know, from Google Trends and from keywords that are trending upwards, um, taking into that account throughout your content ideation process, making sure that it's technically sound so that way when it is put on the website as well, Google sees that. And then on the other hand, when the content is promoted on these other channels like YouTube, social media, and people are engaging with it and sharing it, Google sees all that as well. So that's how it also benefits SEO because the more that Google sees this being shared, engaged with, the higher that your site is probably going to be ranking for that particular subject matter. Um, so it really is kind of a great friendship and relationship. Um, but yeah, overall, as long as they're working together, you can see a lot of benefits from it and even more ROI coming from a lot of your campaigns. And don't forget, you can uh, now follow hashtags on Instagram. That's pretty cool. So where will or we're going to be wrapping this up soon, by the way. Where will organic reach be strong enough to meet your needs, and where will sponsored opportunities be the best for reaching the right audience? I'll give a good little quote that's been flying around our office, uh, is that efficient paid is the new organic. Um, as Courtney said, you know, Facebook is pay to play now. And if you're not efficient with your paid, you're going to be crushed. So it really is about learning how to be efficient with the paid. I would 100% agree. Um, a few years ago, I probably would have said within the search engine results, uh, that's probably where you're going to get the most out of your organic reach. But even now, when you search on your mobile device, chances are you aren't going to see any organic listings on Google. It's all the paid ads above that, above the fold. Um, you have to scroll down to see any of the organic listings that are unpaid. So 
even Google's moving in that direction. Kind of all the channels are. And yeah, like you said, if you're getting better at this uh, paid approach and just doing it in a very efficient, smart, strategic manner, that really is kind of the new direction to go into or else you're not going to be seen anywhere. Well, I want to add one thing because Courtney said something a little bit ago. I wasn't sure if everybody in the room know what it, knew what it meant, but I completely agree with everybody on that. And by the way, there there is no SEO in my mind. There is no SEO without creating content, you know, and content marketing. So, but you mentioned cookie pool. So that is, and I think it's really, really important. Some of you, or all of you might know what this is. Some may not. So if you get somebody to your website, make sure you capture them, right? So it, you don't always get their email address, but if you cookie them, meeting use ad roll. It would be a decent example, right? Retargeting cookies their browser, follows them around the web. Now you have ads being served to them for the next 30, 60, 90 days, whatever. So I, for us, that's I'm, I'm still doing that, and that's a really low cost, low cost per, per click there way of making sure that we're still top of mind for people that have ever visited us, and I would suggest you do the same. And one quick one, um, I'm by no means an expert. We have a team that does it. Um, learn a bit about targeting groups inside of Facebook. And, you know, even if they're small, you can optimize them, and that's one of the best ways to start to get more efficient if you're putting any money behind things. So I knew we have to wrap this up. There are some more slides to go through, so I think we're going we're gonna to just kind of pivot now to Q&A. Thank you. And thank you to the panelists, too. So we've got about 15 minutes for Q&A. So we are recording this for a podcast, so please wait for the mic. So who wants to go first? Who's got a question? Gentleman in the back with the hat was first. Hang on. Hi. <coughs> um, I guess this is a question for uh, uh, all of you. Uh, I guess it's a two-part question. It has nothing to do with each other, so it's really two questions, <laughs> two separate questions. Uh, the first question is uh, LinkedIn. I didn't hear much uh, mention about LinkedIn, and now they allow native video on, on LinkedIn. Um, I'd love to know how to crack the LinkedIn code. Uh, I think there's opportunity there. So what are your thoughts on LinkedIn? And the second question is what's, what's the, the future of, uh, of, of video, of, of video marketing? Where, where's video marketing in five years from now? go really short. LinkedIn, I don't know much about except that it's expensive. Um, and then the future of video is like that. Sure. So the LinkedIn, so the LinkedIn thing, cracking that code, you know, I've been looking at that for a while, and it's, it's really interesting what they're doing, and I've, I think they're playing catch-up right now, and they're trying to get, you know, they have their top influencers doing, you know, you know straight-to-camera you know, basically what YouTube has been doing for a while with the influencers that have taken off. I don't know how it's going to go. I know they're trying really hard. That's not really where we play as a company. We're doing kind of higher end video, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I can't answer too much around that, but I definitely have an answer for you, at least my thought, it backing up what he just said, you know, like up to the right, you know, videos can be taking off. I think two areas are really taking off right now, and I'm putting a pretty big bet on this as well. So I think interactive and personalized video is really taking off. There's been companies out there doing it. We built our own platform to do this, and what that means, personalized, means um, you know there's 50 of you in this room. If you come to my website, you're all going to see the same video. Well, what we've created is a platform so that when each of you come to the, our website, you're getting your own video. 
So I, you know, it's done in seconds. If I have any information on you, if you're in our database, you know, Sharon and Lucy and Bob, you know, your names are going to be in the video. And you're from California, you're from Nebraska, and you're from Florida. You'll get a little bit of interesting information about those areas. So really personalizing content based on either who's visiting or in outbound email campaigns. And I mentioned to these guys earlier, we did a we there's a nonprofit that's customers of our a customer of ours. And uh, they have a 22,000 person donor list, hundreds of thousands of others, but 22,000 people to donate. We personalized the video for them, um, went out, has said each person's name and so forth. They got a 500% increase there because people feel like, wow, you took the time to create this for me. I'm going to watch. So I think personalization is a big, big thing. Next question. Gentlemen. So we have a lot of clients who are marketing people who are over 50, okay? So we do a lot of traditional advertising as well. Where do you see the intersection between content and traditional forms of advertising? Or is it all dead in the next decade? Yeah, quick one. I mean, I'll go back to our experience with Cricket Wireless very traditional advertiser. Um, the success that we've had with them over the last two years, they now look at our tentpole videos as the hub around which all of their marketing takes place. So whether it's in-store activations or print ads and so on, they're starting to think about how do we design, how do they design these other campaigns where there's alignment. So I don't think the other forms of marketing are dead. I think there's a fundamental philosophical problem with trying to get in front of someone's face. There's just so much out there and everyone's just got this brand blindness going on. So I think that that's the biggest challenge is, is the blindness and the fact that people are sick and tired of being interrupted. By the way, on a programming note, we're starting our Back to Basics series in January and we're kicking that series off with email marketing and CRM platforms. So we're circling back to some of those traditional things, even though social influencing is now traditional. It's not the new platform on the block anymore. And so, anyway, I just wanted to kick that in. So um, another question? We got time? Yes, sir. Hi there. Um, what are your preferred methods of mass gathering sentiment, or are you of the school that a click is a click and a watch is a watch? They are definitely not equal, you know, a click, and a, a click and a watch and a click and a click and a watch. But to really dig into it deeper, I think these two can answer. I mean, we look, it, it goes into those different buckets of metrics for us. So uh, soft metrics would be brand sentiment, brand favorability, brand recall, things that, you know, even further down the road, they call like NPS, net promoter score, which is, you know, would you tell your friends about this brand? That, that's a hard one to measure, but those are the ones that at the end of the day, if you can show an impact, that's pretty meaningful. So we do, for example, Google brand studies and Facebook brand studies after we run every campaign. Um, and it's pretty interesting what happens is they're basically running surveys of people who saw this content and then people who didn't and looking at those two different groups. I would say also if you're engaging an audience that you currently already have a part of your um, email CRM, if they're longtime fans and whatnot, and let's say you just launched a brand new website or a brand new campaign that you directed everyone to, you can always send up 
follow-up um, surveys as well, which is a really easy, inexpensive way to do it. Um, we've had a lot of clients just on the flyer able to gather so much information about their user base, and we're just better able to then create content that their current users will actually continuously engage with, because we obviously don't want to lose them by going after this brand new group of people. We want to make sure that we're engaging our current fans um, and keeping them loyal. Next question. Yes. As, as far as reporting goes, how do you count for, if at all, um, any kind of like fake engagement or like bots that happen to occur on Instagram or YouTube, things like that? Well, for us on social, um, we have the benefit of launching our content on the brand's channels. So they have all the insight into what's happening. So they'll see, you know, here's where the people were and, and so on. And we're just running it through the social channels. So our ad spend goes on Facebook, goes on Instagram, and goes on TrueView in the case of YouTube. So there's a ton of fraud outside of the social. And I think there's a lot of arguments about the value of a view on Facebook or a value of a view on YouTube. But as far as the transparency of is it fake click or a bot, that's kind of not as big of an issue we found on those three platforms. I would say it is a little bit harder to detect if, for example, you're looking for influencers to work with and trying to assess whether or not they are a true influencer and are actually engaging their audience. It honestly is combing through their comments, the engagement from photo to photo, um, seeing is it consistent, are these actual comments, um, and then also looking at their normal postings without any type of brand sponsorship in comparison to those brand sponsorship postings. Is there anything completely off there? Are those brand postings um, notably lower or higher um, engagement results? And just trying to figure out, okay, is their audience consistently engaging with them? Are they posting in a consistent manner as well? And then kind of assessing from there. Um, so it is a very manual, but definitely something that I would highly recommend if you guys are ever trying to invest with influencers or recommending to a client. So you never want that to happen where you see a ton of engagement, but actually no results coming from it. Um, because it was fake thoughts. Rachel? On the subject of influencers, what, um, what are you guys currently doing when you work with influencers, and how have you, um, how has it been successful when working with an influencer, and how has it not been successful? So it kind of ranges depending on the goal of the campaign. Um, for certain, we've had influencer activations that have focused around uh, just brand education. If we're launching a brand new product, we want to help educate them so that way they can also educate their users about it and kind of act as a brand advocate for that um, particular product. Other times it's just around a particular season. If we're doing a hard push, um, let's say for the holidays, we're trying to push Christmas cards. Okay, let's see how we can seed this out, how they can naturally integrate it within their own content calendars as well. Um, other times, and this is actually a big priority for a lot of, of our clients, is gathering high quality content. Not all the time our clients have the resources internally or the time dedication to be able to produce high quality content that they can feature on their site or on their blogs or even on their social media. So we engage particular influencers who are high quality content producers and then we're able to collect that content and reuse it on all of our channels. 
So showcase it on our website, even use it within our Facebook ads sometimes. And for a lot of our fashion e-commerce brands, we actually ended up finding that the lifestyle influencer photos outperformed the typical product photos that we um, featured within those Facebook ads, which was a really interesting finding. Actually, my favorite slide, which isn't, we can't show, but how do you find the right influencers? You know, I've, I've spoken to, to companies that have spent 50000 on an influencer and gotten zero return. Like, I've heard that. So how are you going about finding the right one and... So it's, once again, a very manual process. I mean, you can use a lot of different tools out there to help find influencers. For example, there's Muckrack. You can find journalists through there, or Scission, which is another popular one with um, PR agencies. Also, there's other tools such as Hyper, where you, they actually pull in the audience demo data from that influencer's social channels, which is really great to see, so you can make sure that you're hitting the right audience. Um, and in the other way, it's I would never recommend to a client right away having a huge investment for a brand new influencer that they've never worked with. Test it out at first with either some type of product exchange or just a very small um, promotion with that influencer. See how it performs and then see from there if you want to scale it up for a larger campaign with them. Um, that is also another way to kind of best test out the waters before having your client right away um, investing that much money. You know, it should be incremental, which is kind of the approach for a lot of other like paid support, right? This is almost another avenue for that. Social influencer event, March. Yeah, I was just we gonna were, say that deserves its own. It is, that's panel. our March There's topic. There's so much you could talk about. Exactly, that. that's our March topic. We're lining up influencers from a, a variety of areas for that. So we're working on that already as we speak. We have time for one more question. Who's got the quickest hand? She does. Do you use any kind of content marketing automation software platform to help run and manage and bolster your campaigns? Would you recommend it? No, we do not use any automa automation tool for it. Um, we are familiar with uh, tools that help build out interactive content pieces, which can certainly streamline it so we don't have to code from scratch, um, such as Ion. I know there's a few other tools out there. You had that first. Well, you had that first slide, didn't you? It had like HubSpot on there. Are you talking just marketing automation platforms like Acton and HubSpot? And that's a uh, well. Uh, a couple of those That'll folks. Are, a couple of those folks are our customers. I know they do good work. Acton, very email centric. HubSpot's kind of like the, you know, inbound and outbound. You know, but it's it's a little bit more pricey. But I know that's a really really solid name out there, and they. Before they even launched the product, they went out and polled customers, what do you want? So we'll go ahead and build it. Um, you know, uh, there's a bunch out there. Sorry. Well, excellent question. Let's give it up for our panel one more time. That was great. <laughs> Who feels more educated? Raise your hand. Clap and raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, thank you very much, Alan. Thank you. Thank you for everyone for coming out tonight. And, um, yeah, happy holidays. And don't forget to support people in need. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Happy holidays.
You've been listening to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. For more information on the American Marketing Association's Los Angeles chapter and to find out about upcoming events, follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This podcast was produced by Joel Metzger and Icebox Logic.